Brethren, at this time, we're blessed to have our second message for today. It's uh, from our pastor, Steve Andrews, and it's entitled, A Season and a Time to Every Purpose. I've been waiting a while for the cold weather to come. <laughs> oh, boy. I needed this so badly. You know, I used to have one of these years ago. And I looked around, and I tried to find one. I could never find one. And then all of a sudden, one showed up. It was almost brand new. Trench coat. And I put it on. I was so proud of it. I went home. I said, now... Do I look like the spy? You know, the spy that come in out of the cold? She looked at me, thought for a minute. No. Inspector Gadget. <laughs> Without the gadgets. Go, go. What do you know? I'll remove this thing. I don't really need this on that badly. <laughs> well, something a little bit more serious. I better take these glasses off. They're new. I only got uh, nearsightedness in them. I won't be able to see to even read if I put them, keep them on. The uh, in John the eighth chapter, Jesus said this, and for all of us that follow Christ, these are impressive words that stick with us all of our life. Not necessarily do they always comfort us because it challenges us. And in verse 31 it says, Then Jesus, then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. That's us. We, we believe on Christ. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The truth shall make you free. Does not necessarily make us comfortable, does it? <laughs> the truth just makes us free. We, we, we understand things. We comprehend things. We come to a better understanding of things in this life. Now, we know the holiday that's coming up, and there's so many things we could talk about about it, and that's not really the purpose of the message today, except for one particular thing that I found on the net that I thought was very, very good, and because and, I'd always been a little bit confused by this putting together Christ and Mass. We just got through singing the song about the lion of the tribe of Judah. <laughs> the lion of the tribe of Judah. He was not a Catholic. In fact, there was no Catholics at that time when Christ was walking this earth. And so, to put these two together was very interesting. And so I thought, well, I... I started looking around and I asked the question, uh, you can Google anything. <laughs> Google is the, well, the universal thing that you do. And I found this article, The True Meaning of Christ Mass. And I, I don't, I'm not going to read it all, uh, it's a couple of pages, but what I want to do is if anybody's interested in the rest of it, I'll make some copies and you can have it. But the, the individual that, that wrote it out was David J. Meyer. And he went through World Book Encyclopedia, the Catholic Encyclopedia, uh, the Mass in Slow Motion. I'm not sure what uh, that book would be about, but I just want to read a few words out of this paper and help us because we are all trying to learn to follow Christ, and, and then we come up on this time of the year, and it's difficult to, to, to be around people because they're always wanting to, to be joyous at this time of the year. They tell us that it's <clears throat> the season to be jolly. It's a time of ornaments, red and green decorations, silver bells, holly, mistletoe, colored lights. It's also a time of department store Santas calling out their universal mantra, 
ho, 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 Merry Christmas. Nearly all the realm of so-called Christianity join in, join in and repeat the same greeting, Merry Christmas. And of course, you've been listening to the ads. There is one out there that is wanting everybody to do that. Although we hear these words constantly as they resonate millions of times throughout the land, almost nobody understands what they really are saying. It is the purpose of this track to take the words Merry Christmas and examine the true meaning and the essence of these words. A true Christian would want to examine everything they say because Jesus said in Matthew 12, 36 through 37, But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, <clears throat> they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. <coughs> Excuse me. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. We will now set aside all of the customs, glitter, and traditions of Christmas, which were taken from the pagan witchcraft and popularized by the Roman Catholic Church, and we will focus on the true meaning of the words Merry Christmas. The word Merry is simple to define. It unquestionably means to be happy, joyful, lighthearted. The word Merry fits into the ambience of laughter and frivolity. The word Mary by itself is an innocent, innocuous enough, but as we will now see, it becomes heinously blasphemous when used with the word Christmas. Here, let it be noted that most people think that the word Christmas means the birth of Christ. By definition, it means death of Christ. And I will prove it by using the World Book Encyclopedia, the Catholic Encyclopedia, and a book entitled The Mass in Slow Motion. If you are an honest and sincere and discerning Christian, please read on. If not, you might well want to stop right here. So he, he gives them a warning. This, this is information. This is the truth. He's trying to help people to understand what this means. The word Christmas comes from Christus Massi, an early English phrase that means Mass of Christ. It is interesting to note that the word Mass, as used by Roman Catholics, has traditionally been rejected by the so-called Protestants, such as Lutherans, Baptists, Methodists, Presbyterians, Pentecostals, and so on. The word Mass is strictly a Catholic word, and thus so is Christ's Mass. It would stand to reason that since all of these denominations love and embrace Christ's Mass, the December 25th is a great homecoming when all the Protestants become Catholic for a day. It, <laughs> oh boy, it truly is. And it would seem that all the so-called wayward daughters of the Romanish church returned to their mother, the Scarlet Harlot. Thus, all the so-called Protestant churches could sing to the Pope the popular song, I'll be home for Christmas. As previously stated, the word mass in religious usage means death sacrifice. The impact of this fact is horrifying and shocking for when the millions of people are saying, Merry Christmas, they are literally saying, Merry death of Christ. Furthermore, when the fat man in the red suit laughs boyishly and says, Ho, 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 Merry Christmas, he's mocking and laughing at the suffering and bleeding Savior who died for our sins. He does this while parents place their little children on his waiting arms to hear his false promises of gifts that he says he will give them. Consider what you are saying when you say Merry Christmas. What is so amusing about our Savior's painful death? What's so funny? What is <clears throat> Santa laughing? Why are you going along with it? Your words do count, and Satan knows it. Yes, the word mass does mean death, sacrifice. And to cement that fact, we will consider the definition of the inventors of the religious application of the word mass. And I'm going to stop right there. If you're really interested in the rest of it, and there's only a couple paragraphs left, you're <clears throat> I'll have some copies of it, and you can read the rest of it. But I think you get the point. And sometimes it's always bothered me a little bit because I'm not always known exactly what to say. Uh, but I know that one of the things that's happening today is that people are, are getting further and further away from it. And because there's so many other different religions and things out there, it's, it's becoming less and less of a problem. So anyway, on to what I have today. A season and a time for every purpose. I've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes because I think it fits very, very well into our 
life and our uh, how we live, and uh, and it helps us to understand as as Solomon said, vanity of vanity, all is vanity. And without Christ, and without the knowledge that we have, and without the hope of the resurrection, that would be it. And a lot of atheists live their life in that way. They just they live it without understanding anything about God, understanding anything about Christ, understanding anything about salvation, or if they come to that knowledge, they reject it. And we know that. A little history before we get into the meat of this next section on Ecclesiastes. In 1 Kings, we find that the 10th chapter, we'll go there, but I want to introduce a little bit before that. We have David on his deathbed. And we have a usurping of authority from one of his sons. It's actually his fourth son. Three of the sons are dead. The fourth son is the next in line. Well, instead of going to his father and finding out if he's the next king, he decides to take advantage and he takes some of the Israelites and he says, okay, I'm now king. And this is Adonijah or Adonaha or however you pronounce it. It's A-D-O-N-I-J-A-H. So that's the son that tried to usurp the authority. Well, Bathsheba comes in and she says, no, wait a minute, I want my son to do Solomon to be king because David had promised that Solomon would be king. And so they anoint Solomon, bring him out, and he is now king. God blesses him tremendously. He doesn't ask for wealth. He doesn't ask for uh, some of the things that the kings might ask for. He asks for wisdom to rule the children of Israel. I, want, I need wisdom. I need to be able to, so I can rule the children of Israel. But God gives him wisdom, and along with that wisdom comes great wealth and great prosperity. And also comes great peace in the land during his reign, his time as king. And, to put it in perspective, he becomes extremely wealthy. And that's what I want to pick up on right here, is Solomon's wealth and fame. And it begins in the 14th verse, of chapter 10 of 1 Kings. Now the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 600 threescore and six talents of gold. A talent was 75 pounds. That's what I, at least I, I Googled it. It's between 60 and 75 pounds. 636 talents. If you calculate that in the modern terms, Just that amount that came to him was nearly a billion dollars in modern money. Beside that, he had merchantmen and traffic of the spices merchants and all the kings of Arabia and all the governors of the country. And King Solomon made 200 targets of beaten gold. 600 shekels of gold went to one target. And he made 300 shields of beaten gold. Three pound of gold went to one shield, and the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with the best gold. This throne must have been something to look at. The throne had six steps, and the top of the throne was rounded behind, and there were stays on either side, and the place of the seat, two lions, stood beside the stays. And the twelve lions stood there on the one side, and on the other, upon the six steps, there was not the like made of any kingdom. Now remember, at this point in time, Solomon had already had the house of God built. 
And it was beautiful. It was wonderful. It was a beautiful place. David could not build it, but he gathered all the materials, and Solomon built it and dedicated it. It was a beautiful prayer. But his palace, his house, was far more splendid than the palace that he had made for, for God. It was, it had everything. And then some. I mean, they drank out of gold cups. His throne of ivory. For the king had <clears throat> at sea a navy of Tarshish with the navy of Hiram. And once in three years came the navy of Tarshish bringing gold and silver and ivory and apes and peacocks. So King Solomon exceeded all the kings of the earth for riches and for wisdom. And all the earth sought to Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. And they brought every man his present, vessels of silver and vessels of gold and garments and armor and spices and horses and mules, rate year by year. And Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen. And he had thousands and four, uh, had a thousand and four hundred chariots and 12,000 horsemen of whom he bestowed the cities for chariots and with the king of Jerusalem. And the king made silver to be in Jerusalem as stones, and cedars made he to be as sycamore trees that are in the vale for abundance. Uh, Y'all have seen silver and silver uh, dollars and stuff. Well, they were so common that they were just like stones laying around everywhere. <clears throat> they had very little worth. He had, and Solomon had horses brought out of Egypt, linen yarn, and the king's merchants received the yarn, a linen yarn at a price. And a chariot came up and went <clears throat> out of Egypt for 600 shekels of silver, and a horse for 150. And so for all the kings of the Hittites and for the kings of Syria did they bring them out of their means. And so <clears throat> the splendor of, of Solomon's kingdom, he was just wealthy, and, and yet he had a great deal of wisdom. And yet, historically, and it's written about him, he failed. Now Lawrence gave the word if the other day. And God told Solomon, if you will obey me, if you will keep my commandments, if you will walk in my ways, I will bless you, and I will continue to bless you. And what happened in chapter 11? we understand that Solomon failed because he, he didn't continue in the way of God. But King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Amorites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites. Of the nations concerning which the Lord has said unto the children of Israel, you shall not go into them, neither shall they Come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. And Solomon cleaved unto them in love. Thank you, Ken. I appreciate that. I don't know why. Maybe it's all the singing that I, I do, and then I finally get up here. I can't even speak. Froggy froded. He had 700 wives princesses and 300 porcupines and his wives turned away his heart and so did the porcupines I, I, they, they always had problems with porcupines in that day and age but imagine this wise individual that God had blessed with so much wisdom and what does he do he, he squanders it on pleasure and on disobeying God. And I think that, in truth, these are lessons for us. That once God calls us into this way, we need to keep our hearts and our minds focused on God's truth and God's way and on the kingdom of God and not be turned back into the world and back into the things of the world. The um, third chapter of Ecclesiastes, 
I could read these first few verses. But for some of you that are old enough, I was, uh, I was still in high school when this song came out. The uh, birds actually took the words of the first nine verses and put it into a song called Turn, Turn, Turn. I'd like to play that rather than reading the, the verses because I think one of the things that I saw about it was that it, it really develops the idea that there is a purpose in what is going on and that God is part of that purpose that's happening. So if, Brian, if you would play it, it's, uh, it's just lyrics along with uh, that. That's not a Christmas message at the bottom. Remember, this is 1965. This is essentially the beginning of the Vietnam War. And there was a whole lot of protest songs. But I thought they did such a beautiful job of putting uh, these words together that uh, 
I couldn't, I couldn't match it at all. Anyway, Solomon. And, and it reminded me of something that, that, that's in the New Testament. If you, I, I didn't give this to Brian. But in Romans, the eighth chapter, you go back to that, uh, to that part there where he is talking about the future, about us being a part of that future. And it says, for the creation was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. The point is that God has a purpose and a direction, and, and he is working it out on this earth. And every time that we read a scripture, we understand that because we have the whole Bible now. And even though Solomon was very wise and very understanding of a lot of things that went on, and his, it is very good for us to see, there are a lot of things that he also didn't understand. And, and maybe um, with, with both of those together, we, we really have a great deal of, uh, of tremendous understanding. So let's pick it back up now in verse 9. As we go through, um, I don't know how much I will pick, but let's look at a few things here. What profit has he that works in that wherein he labors? I have seen the travail which God has given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. He has made everything beautiful in his time. Also he has set the world in their hearts so that no man can find out the work of God makes from the beginning to the end. God is eternal. We don't know what's, what he's done in the past. And all we know is what he's doing with us right now and the history that we've seen. We know that he created. We know that there's a future. We have no idea all the things that God has done throughout his eternity and the coming eternity that we'll be a part of. But it's all-inclusive in how he is directing the world and why he has subjected us in the things that we are subjected to. I know that there is no good in them but for that a man to rejoice and do good in life. I think Solomon, through his experiences, because he experienced it all, he could drink and do everything and party it, and he would keep his wisdom. He would not lose it. He would not become so far out that he could not discern what was going on. And, and afterwards, so far out of it that he couldn't write it down, couldn't put it to, to, onto paper so that we could understand. I know that whatsoever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God does it that men should fear before him. He's all-powerful, and we know that. That which has been is now, <clears throat> been is now and that which uh, has already been, and God requires that, that which is past. Verse 16, and moreover, and moreover, I saw under the sun the place of judgment, that wickedness was there, and the place of righteousness, that iniquity was there. How does that, I mean, this fits so perfectly into today's modern society. You go and you read something as ancient as this, and you can say, wow, what's going on in the society today? We have pastors and churches killing people or being predators. We have evil people destroying hundreds of people who are, who are partying, partying, partying. I'll get it out pretty soon here. We have in this world all kinds of injustice. I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked. For there's a time there for every purpose and for every work. And that's what we're talking about. There is a time in when judgment will come to this earth. And those that are wicked will be judged. And the righteous will be judged and given crowns of life. And so in, even in Solomon's understanding, he realized there was going to come a time of judgment. 
I said in my heart concerning the estate of the sons of men that God might manifest them and that they might see that they themselves are beasts. For which befalls the sons of men befalls beasts. Even one thing befalls them as the one dies, so dies the other. Yea, they have all one breath, so that a man has no preeminence above the beast, for all is vanity. That's pretty low. To realize that we, when it comes to that last final thing, we're no different than the beast, except, and I'll bring that out. I wanted to, I wanted to bring out about my, the, the time that I uh, actually ran over one of my animals. I was so up, broken up. I, it was, um, it had a tendency to want to lay under the back tire. I can't remember now. I was just in a hurry. I run out there. I didn't have a, wasn't thinking. And I got in the car and that was it. Instantly, the poor little doggie was, was gone and it just tore me up. It tore me up. But can you imagine when we, when we have a relative or something, it's the same way. We understand. And if there was no hope, it would be just like that animal. We would just bury it, and that would be it. But we understand there is great hope. He says, I've <clears throat> He said also, all go unto one place. All are the, of the dust and turn to dust again. Who knows the, the spirit of man that goes upward and the spirit of the beast that goes downward to the earth. Wherefore, I perceive that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his own works, for that his portion for whom, who shall bring him to see what shall be after him. It's interesting that at that time, Solomon probably didn't understand the things that were given to Paul. Jesus, through the Spirit, gave to Paul. And in... Uh, 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, I think there was something so profound in here that um, I didn't have him put it in here, but I wanted to read this. They go, that ties in with this to help us to understand that the spirit that is in man with the spirit that God has given us has a hope, a tremendous hope. In verse 9 of, the second, of, of 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, it is written, Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, neither having entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. And that's what we're talking about. The preparation of God. Preparing all these things. He has a reason, a season. And, a, and, and it all fills out in the holy days, doesn't it? They are so wonderful. They, they, they open up an avenue of understanding. Yes, Jesus was born, but not on the 25th of December. And he died, and he told us to remember that, and we do. But God has revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man, save the Spirit of man which is in him. Even so, the things of God knows no man but the Spirit of God. And this is very important. Now we have, have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. So when we go in and we look at the Bible and we go through and we search the Bible, the spirit of God is helping us to understand those things, isn't it? It's helping to open those things up. And when, when Jesus says, the truth shall make you free, that means that, Whenever we find something that we need to understand, we need to, and we're following Christ, we need to change. Don't we? We need to change so that we, we become more like Christ. Which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual and, of course, the natural man is not able to receive these things. 
of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that we may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ? I think that's so wonderful and so beautiful. This, this book opens up to us through the mind of Christ. And we can understand better about the world that we live in and how to live because of the mind of Christ that, that dwells in us. Now, let's go back. That spirit and our spirit together in coming to understand the truth. Let's pick it back up now in chapter 4. I returned and considered all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of such as were oppressed. And they had no comforter on the side of their oppressors. There was power, but they had no comforter. What have we found today that's been very interesting? Oppressors who have power, who are using that power to take advantage of those who have not the power to overcome them. All these women are coming out of the woodwork, and all these men have nothing to say. They're caught. They're caught. But for many a long time, this has been this has been covered up in this in this nation, Hollywood. It's it's, it's amazing. Not only is it affecting just Hollywood, but it's also affecting the Congress, our Congress, and and. Everyone now is suspect. It's almost like, well, you better not be, you're going to be in trouble if you had any of this kind of stuff going in the background. But there are tears that come because you're oppressed, because you have had something happen to you in the past. He says, wherefore, I praise the dead, which are already dead more than the living, which are yet alive. When something like that happens, if you have a, a, a family member that is murdered by someone, or you have someone that is uh, molested, or anything that happens in a family, this comes into, you feel so devastated. You sometimes wish that you, you didn't even want to, want to live. And that's what Solomon is bringing about. Those things are wrong. Yea, better is he than both they which have, have not yet been, who has not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. Again, I considered all travail and every right work that for this man is envied of his neighbor. This is also vanity and vexation of spirit. The fool folds his hands together and eats his own flesh. In other words, he's, um, <laughs> he's lazy. Better is a handful of quietness than both the hands full of travail and vexation of spirit. Then I returned and I saw vanity under the sun. There is one alone and there is not a second. Yea, he has neither child nor brother, yet is there none end of all his labor. Neither is his eye satisfied with riches. Neither says he, for whom do I labor and bereave my soul of good? This is also vanity, yes, of sore travail. A lot of rich men who have had very poor marriages have really wished that they didn't have the riches but had a, had a good family relationship, a good marriage. A good family marriage and relationship far outweighs the riches. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift his fellow. But woe unto him that is alone when he falls, for he has not another to help him up. Before cell phones, <laughs> you were out in the woods and you got hurt, you might die. Uh, so it's always advantageous, advantageous to have a, a fully charged cell phone if you are moving out in the woods and you're all alone. 
and that is true. It can happen. You can be alone, you can fall, and no one is there to help you. Again, if two lie together, then they, they have heat. But how can one warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Uh, I remember the movies, and they're always, you got a sword here, you got another guy here, and you got another one behind, and they're all, they're all ready to battle. Because now it would be hard for the enemy to get to any of them because now they have a, three, uh, a threefold cord to battle with. And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and the third four cold is not quickly broken. Better is a poor and a wise child than an old and foolish king who will no more be admonished. Boy, is that ever one of the most profound statements that has ever been, been made. For out of prison he comes to reign, whereas also he, he that is born in his kingdom becomes poor. What's going on in the world today? What are we seeing when a dictator takes over a country? What happens? Do the people prosper? Do dictators make people prosper? No, they gather all of their riches, and they become prosperous, and they become rich, and the people that live in their society become poor and poor. Look at Venezuela. Look at North Korea. They don't want anybody in there knowing what's going on. The guy that's escaped just recently from North Korea, out of that dictatorship, what did they find out? One, he was malnourished. Two, he was full of parasites. Of course, they had shot him full of bullets, too. <laughs> but just realize, those people would love to have some freedom from that dictator. They would love to see him die or go away or whatever so that they could have some freedom, so that they could be well. They probably look across their, that demilitarized zone and see the healthy South Koreans over there. And they're, they're sinners also. And they're, they have problems too. But they're not under a dictatorship. In Venezuela, where I was born <laughs> many years ago, almost 70 now, uh, my mom, and I've told this before, but mom, when she said that uh, she was carrying me, they had some of the most wonderful foods. They had, because it's a tropical environment, avocados and anything else, tropical fruits and everything. She, uh, maybe that's the reason why I stayed kind of healthy, because <laughs> she was healthy. And uh, she said it was the most beautiful country, and, and everything was so prosperous over there. And, of course, they struck oil, and they became even more prosperous. And then a dictatorship took over. And now the poor people are starving in that country because of, of a dictator. It's right there. We're out of prison. Some of them come out of prison, too, don't they? And they take it over, and they get the armies to help them. He comes to reign, whereas also he that is born in his kingdom becomes poor. I considered all the living which walk under the sun with the second child that shall stand up in his stead. There is no end of all the people, even of all that have been before them. They also that come after shall not rejoice in him, surely this also is vanity and vexation of spirit. <clears throat> I'm going to go ahead and take chapter 5. I've got a little time left here. So let's look at chapter 5. Keep your foot when you go to the house of God and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they consider not that they do evil. I think that's one of the things that's wonderful about God's church and God's way is whenever you come, you can, you can hear the word of God being preached and taught. And it's very important that we come willing to listen. I, I've always liked that when we have a diversity of speakers because I learn from all the different ones that they get up here and, 
and bring the word and expound it. I learn a different way. I learn the different things from it. And I think that it's so wonderful to, to be able to, to listen to the word expounded in a different way. I think uh, Brian and, and Richard at one time said, yeah, you all, all you guys speakers, you're, you all have your own techniques and your own way of doing things. So we, and that's the reason why we like to have it a little different because we do get a tendency to be a little bit um, in the same. Be not rash with your mouth, and let not your heart be hasty to utter anything before God, for God is in heaven and you up on the earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by the multitude of words. When you vow to vow unto God, defer not to pay it. For he has, not, he has no pleasure in fools. Pay that which you have vowed. Jesus said we probably shouldn't even do that. Because sometimes it puts us into a bind, doesn't it? Like the example of the, of the man who vowed to vow that the, the next thing that came out of the door would be sacrificed to God. What was it that came out? His daughter. See how that foolishness in speaking can get you into trouble? It can get you into big trouble. Better is it that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. That's very wise words. Suffer not your mouth to cause your flesh to sin. Neither say you that... Uh, neither say you before the angel that it was an error. Wherefore should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hand? You definitely don't want to lie to God. For in the multitude of dreams and many words there are also different vanities. But fear you God. See? He understood those things. And the wisdom... Came, comes through in the book of Ecclesiastes so wonderfully, so powerfully. If you see the oppression of the poor and violent perverting of the judgment and justice in a province, marvel not at the matter, for he that is higher than the highest regards, and there be higher than they. Moreover, the prophet of, uh, the, prophet of the earth is for all. The king himself is served by the field. He that loves silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loves abundance with increase. This is also vanity. Solomon understood that. He was wealthy. He had all of it. He could, and and he, at the end of it, he realized, well, this is just going to go to somebody, my son or my grandson or something, and I'm going to be just like they're going to put me in the grave. When goods increase, they increase that eat them. And what good is there to the, to the owners thereof, saving the beholder of them with their eyes? The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether eat little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. He's always worried that he's going to lose his wealth. Don't worry. There is a sore evil which I've seen under the sun, namely... Riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. But those riches perish by evil travail, and he begets a son, and there's nothing in his hand. As he comes forth of his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came, and shall take nothing of his labor which he may carry away in his hand. How profound is that? I uh, lots of little kids, lots of grandchildren. I've watched, seen them very new, very naked coming out, and then watched them grow up. And we understand that. We understand the very words that Solomon has, has, has written here. And this also is sore evil, that in all points as he came, so shall he go. And what profit has he that has labored for the wind? 
All his days also he eats in darkness, and he has much sorrow and wrath with his sickness. <coughs> Behold, that... Here in a minute. Behold, that which I have seen, it is good and comely for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor that he takes under the sun all the days of his life, which God gives him, for it is his portion. So the, there are things that we can enjoy and we can be a part of, and especially those of us that have gotten God's spirit and understand the truth, we can have, we can rejoice at the things that we understand and have today but we can also rejoice in the in the hope of the kingdom every man also to whom God has given riches and wealth has given him power to eat thereof and to take his portion and to, to rejoice in his labor this is the gift of God for he shall not much remember the days of his life because God answers him in the joy of his heart and so I wanted to quit there I don't want to go on any further when we, we go to, to like Proverbs or Ecclesiastes and we read those words, sometimes they, they affect us. We know that we're finite. We have a short life. We know that there uh, is going to come a time when we're not going to, to, to live any longer. And yet, even in reading those things that, that Solomon wrote there, we can be encouraged, can't we? We can be encouraged that there, he, God has given us a joy, joy of the life that we live, the things that we have uh, possessions of, the food that we eat and the things that we have, and then also the joy that the Spirit has given us to understand the kingdom and the kingdom of God and the righteousness that is going to come upon this earth and the truth that all are going to be judged someday, and everything is going to, to be righted because God is going to do that. In, his, in some season and in some time, every purpose of God will be fulfilled.